When Amanda was 12, she went through her very first breakup, and she wrote about it in her diary. Dear Diary, Okay, Ben just broke up with me. He said it wasn't me, and he still thinks I'm hot and rates me a 9 out of 10. (laughs) But he said he wants to be single for like a month. (laughs) I wasn't mad at him, but just surprised. He still said on the phone, I think you're hot, so everything's okay. That's Amanda reading from the diary she kept when she was 12. And this, well, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids is a live open mic event where brave adults get on stage to share their cute, weird little kid writing and their angsty, awkward teenage writing and everything in between. This time, recorded live at the Victoria Event Center in Victoria, B.C., we have childhood pyrophobia, a sister pact, and a plan to rid the world of nuclear bombs. There's a little bit of who we used to be inside each and every one of us. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. A minute ago, we heard from Amanda. Amanda felt okay when her first boyfriend, Ben, broke up with her because he still thought she was hot. Well, that feeling did not last. Here's Amanda reading the very next entry in her diary. Hi, it's me again. I'm not okay with us breaking up. I mean, he was the first guy that ever really respected me. (laughs) He is totally hot, too, and has an awesome personality. He told me I'm a 9 out of 10, and I had a nice ass, and that I was hot. Grr, why does he want to be single? (laughs) Hey, you know, I'm not really mad at him. Today we had a great phone convo. We we talked about jam, Kelly, and cool stuff. I wish he was my boyfriend. June 11th, 2001. Dear Diary. Today, Ben said he would meet us at our school, and then he never showed up. I want to call him now, but my parents always get mad at me for being on the line, so now I think he thinks I'm stalking him. Ah, I'll just phone him tomorrow. I think I'm obsessed with him. (laughs) June 18th, 2001. Dear Diary, you know, me and Ben, well, I don't like him, but it's just the fact that he likes me. It just sort of turns me on. (laughs) I don't know. I have also been thinking of sending him a message saying if we could, like, make out and then saying it was my brother. Grr, love is annoying. (laughs) June 20th, 2001. Dear Diary, you know how I said love is annoying? Well, of course it is. I don't really like Ben in that way, but I like him as a friend, but I want to make out with him, but as friends. (laughs) So it's crazy. I've also been talking to this guy named Trevor. He is pretty cool, funny, nice, and I guess sort of cute. But everyone is telling me he's a jerk. So I'm torn between Trevor and Ben. I like them both. Grr. So many boys, too little time. When Caleb 
was seven, he wrote a letter to the Prime Minister of Canada, Brian Mulroney, and in it he outlined a plan to rid the world of nuclear bombs, complete with detailed instructions and schematics. Here's Caleb on stage in Victoria. So it says how to prevent nuclear bombs. I apologize (laughs) if I stumble. The penmanship is not great. Um, How to prevent nuclear bombs. To Mr. Mulrooney, I would like to help. To destroy bombs, make a suction cup like this. And there's the suction cup. (laughs) To get to the army forces, um, use a drill like this. And there's laser beams coming out, and there's a Canadian flag and air coming out the back. (laughs) The suction cup will stick to the bomb. It will suck the powder out. To get to the forces, use the drill. Use a laser gun to make a hole the size of the suction cup. The suction cup will suck the power out. The control panels of the drill look like this. And there's a little uh, schematic of the (laughs) control panel, and it says oxygen, door, fast, slow, lights, drill, laser, and cup. And there's also a compass. Take the huge drill for a test drive. If it works, go to the army forces right away and then destroy the bombs. If it does not work, could you please destroy the nuclear bombs? About myself. I am seven years old. I go to Sansbury McTavish School. I have blue eyes. I have black and blonde hair. My favorite cooler is red. I have a nice smile. (laughs) I have lots of fun every day. If you need help, I am here. Bye now from Caleb. And then I got a, a, a letter from the prime minister. And it says, dear Caleb, it's on fancy prime ministerial letterhead. And it says, dear Caleb, I would like to thank you very much for writing to me about world peace. As you know, I also have a family and my four children have their own questions about the future of Canada and the world. I promise you now, as I have promised my own children, that I will do everything in my power as prime minister to work towards a more peaceful world for everyone. This not only means helping to rid the world of nuclear weapons, but also sending aid to the poor and hungry people in other countries. I am always very happy to hear from young people who show a concern for their nation and the world around them. It reassures me that in future generations, Canada will be left in caring hands. Thank you for writing. My children, Carolyn, Mark, Ben, and Nicholas, have asked me to send you their greetings. With every good wish, yours sincerely, Brian Mulrooney. Anybody who grew up with brothers or sisters can tell you that sibling relationships are complicated. When Nicole and her sister Kirsty were 11 and 14, they decided it was important to lay down some very clear rules of engagement. 
Here's Nicole on stage in Victoria reading from those rules, which they called the Sister Pact. December 5th, 1999. We, Nicole and Kirsty, now and forever promise that whatever is written, promised, or made a deal of in this book or just in words between us will never be told to parents, friends, or relatives and kept just between us. When we sign with a pen, it is like signing with our blood. (laughs) And the oath, promise, or deal can never ever be broken unless there are certain circumstances included in the deal that both persons are aware of and agree on. (laughs) We sign this now understanding what it means and that from here on in, we are to act like best friends, not worst enemies. Nicole will not bitch at Kirsty and will respect her space. See note, note, space also means privacy. Kirsty will not follow or pester Nicole and will respect her space. See note, space also still means privacy. <laughs> Signed, Nicole and Kirsty. And now the rules. Uh, firstly, my rules. Rule one, we will have meetings at least once a week unless something extremely important comes up. Rule two, nobody is to be told of this and no one is to see this book. Rule three, there will be no fighting during the meetings. If there is fighting, the meeting will be postponed, but for no more than two days. Uh, My sister's rules. Rule four, if grounded, say from the phone, that person, while the parents are out, will be ungrounded for an agreed-upon amount of time. When, rule five, when both can drive, take turns or make a schedule. You can swap times if needed. Rule six, if help is needed for anything, she will get it, even if nothing is given in return. See note, note, if possible. Uh, And then the note I had to add, rule seven, each person gets a maximum of two favors per week. And then to make sure it was super official, we both put on lipstick and kissed on the same spot. Uh, Meetings, December 5th, 1999. No promises or deals yet. We just got started, but we think this will work well. Signed by both of us with no further meetings. The rest of the journal is blank. After the show, Nicole called in to reflect on how her relationship with her sister has changed and how, in some ways... It has stayed exactly the same. I want to make it clear that before I ever decided to read this publicly, I did obey rule number two and at least talked with Kirsty first, and she gave me her full and enthusiastic support of me reading this out loud. Um, so I guess I broke that rule, but I got her permission to do it. We're super close. She is my go-to person right away whenever I have news, whenever something exciting happens, whenever I need to vent or get stressed or whatever, Uh, which isn't to say that we don't still spat sometimes. (laughs) I think that's just something that when you grow up that close and that comfortably with someone, they become a safe outlet sometimes. So my sister and I definitely still have those emotional, dramatic moments now as adults. Uh, but in a far more controlled and respectable way, I hope. But yeah, she's my best friend. All 
Our next reader, Kathy, also brought along some writing that explores the theme of sisterhood. But unlike Nicole, Kathy brought along a work of fiction. Here she is, reading a short story written in grade two, entitled... Orphans, by Kathy Trithart. Two orphans got adopted and went to their new home. After a few weeks, the parents died. (laughs) The two sisters did not go back to the orphanage. The two sisters went back in time to see what happened in time. (laughs) They suddenly set course for a hundred years in the past. The fuel melted their machine, and they were stranded in dinosaur days. (laughs) The policemen investigated the house and couldn't find the children. The children live in dinosaur days. I'm pretty sure nobody at our Victoria show expected that plot twist. And that's one of the great things about kid writing. The incredibly sharp turns, the complete non sequiturs. Take, for instance, Renee, who brought along a poem that she wrote when she was six all about Easter. Well, it starts off as a poem about Easter. The best part of Easter is when I eat lots and lots of pure milky chocolate. I really love it when my family watches me hunt wonderful Easter eggs. Some Tims, my family takes pictures of me hunting eggs. I like the smell of nice, fresh, pure milk chocolate. I like to taste yummy chocolate bunnies. It would be really cool if I could be a lawyer and anyone who doesn't respect me, I sue them. It's Easter time! When Penelope was 13, she kept a journal, and like a lot of kids, she gave her journal a name. Each entry was addressed to Festus. Here's Penelope, or as she signed all her journal entries, Spunky. Dear Festus, I just about died yesterday. I'm serious. I got electrocuted. It happened around 20 after 3 p.m. I picked up an extension cord which had exposed prongs. All of a sudden, I was hearing a loud buzzing in my ears, and my arms, legs, and stomach were shaking. I was screaming at my sister, Jessie, to help me, and my eyes were bugging out of my head. But she thought I was only joking. Then I dropped the plug and started wailing. I went inside, and I could barely walk. My legs were like jello. I've had an awful headache ever since it happened. If it had have gone to my heart, I'd be dead right now. Or if it had have gone on for any length of time. God, imagine if I died. I'd probably go to heaven and everything, but come on, I'm only 13. I'm too young to die. Is this a sign or something? First we get in a car accident and total mom's car, then I get electrocuted. Maybe. Maybe God is trying to get my parents to quit fooling around and start paying attention more. (laughs) 
Like, you know, you know what's going down between them? Maybe he's telling them to smarten up before something real drastic happens. This was five months before they split up. <laughs> Dear Festus, last night my brother Josh and I were the only ones home. We had a water fight with plastic syringes and a couple of times we put it in the dog's nostril and squeezed it. <laughs> She started barking, and then she ran away. It was so funny, but I guess you had to be there. Josh, Josh hid in our, bar- our parents' bedroom, and we came running around the corner toward each other at the same time, and we banged knees. It didn't hurt me much, but Joshua fell on the ground, and he was moaning and groaning, so I got the syringe and sat on him and sprayed it in his face. From Spunky. Dear Festus, I hope my guinea pig has her guinea pig babies soon. They are so cute. I love little teeny weeny baby guinea piggy wiggies. <laughs> they look like a cross between a minuscule kangaroo, an adult guinea pig, a rat, and a hamster. Of course, there's some of me in there too, since I am their grandma. One of the things I love about kid writing is its honesty. So much of this stuff is raw, unvarnished emotion laid completely bare. And looking back as adults, we can see our deepest, most basic hopes and dreams and, in some cases, fears. When Bill was seven, he was really afraid of fires. And he wrote about that fear in his grade two notebook. This is called Fires. Fires are not nice. (laughs) Exclamation point with flames around it and the F's too. In fact, every line had an exclamation point with flames around it. (laughs) Fires are not nice. Fires are not nice. Fires hurt. Fires burn. Fires are not nice. Fires are not nice. Fires burn. Fires kill. Fires are not nice. Fires are not nice. Fires are hot. Fires are bad. Fires are not nice. Fires are not nice. Fires are not nice. Thank you. Kids can be very observant, perceptive, and every so often at our live shows, we hear a piece of writing that was clearly written by a kid who's not only paying attention to the world around them, but also wise beyond their years. When Catherine was 14, she kept a journal and she filled it with poetry and prose. And as you'll hear right off the top, Catherine had a special kind of 14-year-old insight into the world of grown-ups. Now, just a quick heads up, Catherine does use a cuss word. There's your warning. Here's Catherine, live on stage in Victoria. All these shitty teachers are just unhappy. (laughs) 
I remember being very young? Or is it just a picture that my mother told me of? It seems that I remember, but she says it can't be true. My crib, my dolls, the magic chest I used to climb into. She says I can't remember. Then what is it that I see when I think of things that happened when I was only three? I know that I remember. I know that it is true. I know it really happened when I was three, or maybe two. <laughs> ah, now this one is a poem that I wrote about my youngest brother when he was about three years old. He is now the assistant fire chief at the Oak Bay Fire Hall. He runs around the neighborhood in a perfect facsimile of a Batman suit. <laughs> he wears a ring of a rocket on his finger, as I had done. He is so young, and I much older. In my time, I had to make the rocket myself, climb inside, take a ride. Now he says, hey Joe, Take over control. The sun's coming closer, but I'm getting sleepy. Don't you want to help? I would. But I can't fit in the box that fashions the rocket. I can't fit in the slot that fashions the normal. I can't fit in any one spot anymore. Under it, it says, written after drinking three rather large glasses of wine. <laughs> Fourteen. <laughs> and to finish, when I think of feelings I had then, I wonder if they will come back again. I feel it every spring, but this time it may be different. I was so much older then. Thank you very much. When Nick was 10, he was what you might call detail-oriented. Very detail-oriented. And as you'll hear, that part of his personality came through loud and clear in his journal entries. Here's Nick. Wednesday, January 19, 2000. Today was stressful because a chess tournament with Randy's Chess Club was starting today. Community Choir is also today, and we like chess a lot. But last night at 0700, we didn't go to choir. <laughs> and we have to go at least once every week. So after all, at that last moment... Mama said to go to chess club, and we found some information. We do not have to be accompanied by an adult at 0700 on Tuesdays, although the chess tournament continues through three weeks. We can quit at any time. This sounds complex, and it is. I'm just glad this stressful day is finally over. January 23. Today I watched TV, and later I did a lot of homework. After that, we had supper that consisted of steak, mashed potatoes, and coleslaw. I do not eat red meat. <laughs> but had to tonight, since that was 
That was the only protein. Later today, Dale came over and is going to sleep over overnight. Here is a picture of Australia. And I traced a picture of Australia and it says traced. Let's see. February 9. Today was so, parentheses, great, exclamation mark, end parentheses. Because at chess club, parentheses, I didn't go to choir. Everybody who participated got a Kit Kat. Also for supper, we had my favorite meal, pierogies. I planned to bring $3 to the Valentine's Day school, open parentheses, SJD, open parentheses, Sir James Douglas, close parentheses, close parentheses, dance. One dollar for admission, one dollar for pop, one dollar for treats like chocolate bars and chips. That last part's in parentheses. March 14. So much stuff to say. We got Frogger, CompU game. Actually, I overestimated. Goodbye. June 7, I forgot my violin at school. I'm behind in my math. Papa wouldn't give me a bandage for my paper cut. As you can imagine, I'm feeling lousy. I'm almost 11. This is Nick. Uh, on stage, I mentioned I was very detail-oriented. I guess, if I'm more honest with myself, I think I was struggling with, with obsessive-compulsive disorder. I didn't want to have it, and I knew what it was. So, yeah, I think we had a little peek into a time when I was having a lot of internal conflict, and I made some really hard decisions that, that led to me being a more laid-back person now in my 20s. I find it really valuable looking back and reading my journal, and I wish I'd written a lot more because I can see how much I've changed, and uh, that gives me the feeling that I'll be able to change more in the future, that I can be the kind of person I want to be. For a lot of teenagers, poetry is a way to express yourself, to work through complicated emotions, to take all the confusion and doubt and angst and try and make sense of it through words. And for musically inclined teenagers, well, the obvious next step is to take those words and put them to music. When MB was 16, she wrote a song. And as I explained on stage... This was her first and last attempt at being a singer-songwriter, and she is not going to read this originally composed song. She's going to sing it. Please welcome to our stage, MB. A quick heads up, as MB takes the stage, her song does contain a cuss word. Uh, so this song basically encapsulates um, my, what I thought was incredibly accurate uh, viewpoint of 
my love life at 16. Uh, and the song is called He's a Star. <laughs> He's a star in my eyes. Mm. He's a star in my eyes. But I'm not the girl that I want to be in his eyes. Cause I am nothing in his eyes. Cause he doesn't want me. He wants the girls in magazines. He doesn't want me. Cause he's a boy in magazines. What the fuck is that? Whoa, what am I to do? I'm so lost without you. His face is all glossy when he's with his posse. But I don't want him no more, see? Cause he doesn't want me. He doesn't want me like how I want him. He doesn't want me. Cause he doesn't want me. He wants the girls in magazines. He doesn't want me. Cause he's a boy in magazines. What the fuck is that? That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Victoria Event Center in Victoria, B.C. Our music is by Poddington Bear. And if all of this sounds like fun to you, we would love for you to be part of a live Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids event. We have upcoming live shows in Toronto, Windsor, Detroit, and beyond. To see our full calendar or sign up for our email newsletter where we announce new shows, check out the website, Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Or, even easier, just look at your device right now. Right there in the show notes, you'll find links to our calendar and the newsletter and a special link for iTunes and Apple podcast users that lets you leave a rating or review for the show. Big thanks to everyone who's already left a rating, and if you've not done that yet, we would really appreciate it. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>